podcast episode one inaugural my name is kalinda my name is ivy this is a podcast where we talk about the murdoch mysteries we go episode by episode through the series um and just talk a bit about the plot as well as some of the historical things the technological things the um just the little things that they mention in the show that we find interesting and want to do some research on so this is my first time watching the show. Ivy, you have seen it before. I have seen quite a bit of it in chunks, not always like chronologically, and also kind of a while ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched more recently the later stuff, but I completely forget the beginning. Um, it's bananas seeing them so young, and then some of the other like kinks that they haven't quite figured out yet, mm-hmm. but... I've been watching for a while. I like it's basically like a a hokey, cozy murder mystery, but still with a little bit of of zazz. So it's not so patronizing, <laughs> you know. I find sometimes if they're too cozy, they're patronizing, but I'm also like too soft for a hard-hitting procedural law and order style drama. Mm-hmm. So Victorian era, period, Canadian, into the forensic science of it, but is not CSI, <laughs> is mm-hmm. really good for me. Yeah, it's cool. D- dorky. <laughs> yeah, it's a little dorky, but I like it. I like that it is dorky. Yeah. This you So episode one is called Power. You said it started in 2007? That that was when yeah, I think started. around there, or 2008, I think that's when it would have premiered. And um, right now, I think they're starting their 15th season, something oh my gosh. like that. They've been doing it a long time. Wow. Um, and, well, I mean, I imagine it's really successful mm-hmm. and has lots of appeal. The actors are very attractive, but it's also, like, super accessible. Yeah. It's very funny watching it, having... Only just heard about it, maybe seen the introduction, hearing stuff from you about it. Um, and just even the camera work, I find so it's like student project. Like it's like it's like a it's like it's like they're in a building less than they're in a set sometimes because it yeah. or or it's like mockumentary where it feels like there's a camera that's following them around and doing like pan zooms and then like going between two faces instead of doing hard cuts between like different cameras and different angles <laughs> it's like mm, yeah it was it was really interesting <laughs> well we can talk about that more after we do our recap but i do also think that there are a few like especially camera choices that mm-hmm. that was the most jarring going from like go like seeing it all the way at the beginning being like they that's one of the things that was the most noticeably different. Mm-hmm. They seem to iron out their style mm-hmm. of of um, direction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we shall hopefully see it get better. <laughs> <laughs> but it always maintains that like hokey, you know, steampunky vibe of like, mm-hmm. oh, now we're we're thinking with Murdoch kind of yeah. thing. We're seeing the cogs turn. Mm-hmm. The flashbacks as he pieces it together. Exactly. (laughs) That always remains. (laughs) All right, Ivy, it was your job this week to 
uh, recap the episode. I I made you go first. <laughs> yeah. Could you remind me what happened? <laughs> Gladly, Kalinda. Thank you. In many ways. So when I was doing this, I went scene by scene. Hopefully, it's not too long. Okay. So it opens with William Murdoch and Dr. Julia Ogden attending a public demonstration put on by a man named Daniel Pratt, who sells Edison's direct current to the city. And the demonstration shows the dangers of Nikola Tesla's newly developed alternating current. And Nikola Tesla happens to be spotted in the audience. So the demonstration consists of sending a voltage of alternating current through a dog, which will obviously kill it. That would happen even if you use direct current, so... It's kind of silly. Publicity stunts. <laughs> it's kind of like really harsh. Um, we are introduced to Edna Garrison in the audience from the Humane Society who is protesting this animal cruelty and also Constable George Crabtree who has to keep her from the stage because the stage is really dangerous. On stage with Pratt is his associate Mr. Fox and Miss Toronto Electric Light, a woman named Alice. Alice flips the switch and is immediately electrocuted instead. Dun dun dun! There's the murder. Murdoch and Ogden examine the scene and find rubber inserted in the switch, blocking the current to the dog. Ogden then asks why the rubber on the handle didn't also protect Alice. Also joined on the scene is Murdoch's chief inspector, Brackenreed, who will be obviously a main player along with Crabtree and Ogden. Also, we meet a Mr. Dodd, who is only here for this episode, who is a powerful politician who is affiliated with Pratt and also publicly supports direct current instead of alternating current. Murdoch establishes that the switch was stored in Pratt's warehouse, accessible to him and Mr. Fox and some guards, and a security alarm had gone off the night before, but when investigated, nothing was amiss, so they thought nothing of it. Murdoch then visits Tesla's workshop, where he is working on what will basically be what we now know of as, like, radio transmission. Mm -hmm. And he's sending a message to New York City wirelessly through the air. Murdoch marvels, and they discuss its possibilities, like sending telegrams to ships at sea, or transmitting voice messages, or even images. Murdoch says you could call it telekinetoscope. Tesla says that's too many syllables. Call it television. <laughs> this is one of many meta moments or like fourth wall breaking moments that will happen throughout the show. There's one where they're um, talking about movies, like the advent of movies or moving pictures. Mm -hmm. And the show basically ends with Murdoch saying something along the lines of like the idea of wasting your life just watching you know other people do things on you know a fancy light display just sounds kind of depressing and oh, then the no. show ends and you're like how dare you <laughs> um, here we are <laughs> here we are talking about <laughs> watching a show uh -huh. anyway so the meta counter has officially started with Tesla's line there <laughs> Murdoch asks him for an alibi and then asks him if he could help him with the case. Back at the station, Crabtree mentions to Murdoch the possibility of the Humane Society in the case as the dog was spared and Edna is brought in for questioning but deemed an unlikely suspect. But her alibi is only that 
she has a curfew at her landlady's boarding house. Tesla arrives at the station, and he and Murdoch deduce how the switch's rubber handle could have conducted electricity to Alice's hand, which is, the rubber would have been punctured through to the metal and then filled with graphite, which is conductive and black like the leather. So you wouldn't have been able to see it. When the current was blocked by the inserted rubber, the electricity went through the graphite and was burned up, and then the rubber fused back together. So that kind of blew my mind. I didn't even mm -hmm. think of graphite as being conductive. Yeah. But that's probably something we learned, you know, in second grade, and then suddenly I was scared of number two pencils for a bit. Um, after the postmortem... Dr. Ogden discovers that Alice was five weeks pregnant. Murdoch considers if this was the motive for her murder and narrows down Pratt, a married man, and Dodd, a bigwig politician, as the two suspects who would have had the most to lose from an exposed affair. Murdoch interviews Alice's roommate, who acknowledged she often had bows and one very recently who she talked to on the phone once, but she never knew much about them as Alice was really discreet. Murdoch also introduces a lightning bolt necklace that may have come from her paramour and immediately leads him to Pratt. Murdoch approaches Pratt about Alice. He denies giving her the necklace, and then Murdoch divulges her pregnancy. Pratt admits that they had an affair, but that it ended weeks ago. Fox informs Murdoch that Pratt couldn't have been trying to kill Alice because Dodd was originally meant to flip the switch. So that means Dodd was the original target. Brackenreed and Murdoch discuss why Dodd might have been targeted. He's the swing vote on the Board of Electricity, and they deduce that Dodd could have accepted a bribery to vote in favor of alternating current, which would then have been a betrayal of his promises to Pratt, because the stock price for alternating current had gone up when it should have gone down after the murder basically showed that alternating current was deadly. They go to arrest Pratt, but find him also dead by electrocution via his telephone receiver. In the meantime, Crabtree's obviously sweet on Edna and has visited her in the guise of checking on the dog. They go for a walk, but don't make it back before 10 p.m. curfew. Edna says that she can't knock to be let in because she already has too many demerits, because that's how boarding houses worked at the time. She shows him around back and climbs through her window, inviting him in for tea. He topples her desk, attempting to get in. When she goes to make tea, Crabtree clears the papers from her desk and finds a schematic for the alternating current machine. Edna is questioned again. She admits her and the others from the Humane Society had attempted to destroy the machine the night before, but fled as soon as the alarm went off. Dodd is the immediate suspect for Pratt's death as retaliation for the attempt on what he thought was his life. They confer with Tesla again to set up a wireless transmission apparatus that Fox will take to meet Dodd in a park and get a confession. When explaining the device to Fox, Tesla derisively congratulates Fox on his coming nuptials to an heiress. The wire works, and Dodd is recorded confessing to killing Pratt and accepting bribes. Ogden congratulates Murdoch on a case closed, and she tells him after her postmortem she's discovered Pratt couldn't father children, so Alice had to have been seeing someone else. Cue Murdoch mind palace sequence. <laughs> Fox is the only other possible culprit for 
Alice's death motivated by his need to maintain his betrothal to his heiress. Alice's roommate is able to ID Fox as Alice's latest beau from the wire recording of Dodd's confession. Edna gives Crabtree the dog. They end amicably, even though he implicated her multiple times. (laughs) Um, And the end. So that was my recap of that. Murder Fox caught. But you could totally see it coming. He was such a slime, slime. Oh, yeah. He was such a slimy guy. The moment you see him on stage scene one, you're like, he looks like a bad guy. You know, he kept on reminding me of, like, even now in my mind's eye, when I think back of him, all I see is uh, that guy from Game of Thrones. He was like the right-hand man of Daenerys. Oh, yeah. What's his name? It was like Jonah or something like that. Don't remember. Dora. No. God damn. The thing is, obviously he was a good guy in that, but he played this character named Mr. Preston in this BBC miniseries called Wives and Daughters, and he played such a slime ball in that one. Mm-hmm. And so it just perfectly fits with Mr. Fox. And so even now, I don't even really remember what Mr. Fox looks like on Murdoch Mysteries, even though I just watched it last night. <laughs> because all I can see is Mr. Preston. <laughs> anyway, so thoughts, comments? Yeah. So something I liked about the episode was um, the the romance subplot. I kept having to pause because I was squealing. I thought it was just so freaking cute yeah. watching them flirt when he brought Violets over for the dog because it is... Wow. Wow. Very adorable. Yeah, he really had the charm going there. He- heavy charm. He looks so dorky to me, personally, but um, I it's just, it was so charming. Loved it. Loved every second of it. <laughs> yeah, Crabtree will obviously, I mean, it's not that Crabtree didn't have an important role in this episode, but him and Dr. Ogden will definitely feature more prominently mm-hmm. in the future, and they become... They become some of the most interesting characters. I don't know what happens to the dog, though. Violet. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it's just like, yep, he was given a dog and now we never think of it again. We never see it again. (laughs) (laughs) What was something you wanted to talk about from the episode or just liked or... Well, what always struck me was obviously comparing to what I know in the show. So... Hmm. Obviously, I have a bit of, not bias, but, like, you know, expectation, maybe. So, just seeing how young they were, and then also, like, the close camera work that is so wrong. (laughs) It's just too much. They'll figure it out, but that was kind of like, oh, they're coming on strong with that. They really want to get in there so you can see his guy liner those and zooms his guy liner oh my god yes yep yep murdoch murdoch i don't i don't actually know if he's wearing any eyeliner or if that's just his lashes or, or if it's just his lashes but god does it look like he has eyeliner i'm pretty sure he's wearing eyeliner <laughs> like i've always kind of thought that and then sometimes i was like well maybe he's just blessed with eyeliner no there's no possible way that your bottom lashes. Well, there's another actor that I that has a similar thing. 
Hmm. who I remember uh, from sci-fi stuff. I don't know his name or any actual distinct character that he was. Was he in Heroes, maybe? Well, I never saw Heroes. Yeah. Like, I, I can picture the actor's face and his dark lashes, and I always thought he was wearing eyeliner, but I don't actually know if he was ever wearing eyeliner or if it was just his freaking lashes. Blue eyes, dark hair. I don't... I think blue eyes. I'm really bad with faces and eye color, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'll have to look up this actor. Hello, Kalinda from the future here. I looked it up. Uh, it's Nestor Carbonell. I don't know if I've ever known his name before. I probably even just said it wrong right now. He made a cameo in Lost. Um, and that's probably where I knew him from. Doesn't have blue eyes either. I don't know what I was talking about. Okay, back to the episode. Nikola Tesla is in this episode. Mm-hmm. He's just weird. Yeah. Like, I know Tesla is weird, but there's something. there was something about this interpretation of Tesla where it was like, this is interesting. Well, the fact that, like, they had him, like, you know, open the telephone box and then start tinkering with it, it was, like, kind of unnecessary. It's like, we, get, we already know Tesla's a big fucking deal and that he is an engineer and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's not like they have to make him antisocial. Or something, mm-hmm. right? Which is sort of what they went with. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I did always think of Tesla as an oddball. Yeah, but I mean, I think also the show is like, it's their pilot. Mm-hmm. They are starting with a heavy hitter, Tesla, mm-hmm. obviously. And so there's a lot of like hero worship going on, sort of even in the storytelling, because obviously Murdoch acknowledges that Tesla is a hero of his, and then Murdoch is acting with with respect and and marveling right Mm -hmm. but then there's even like in the writing like especially the closing scene where murdoch goes to tesla's workshop and finds a contraption that allows him to receive transmission from tesla in new york and it's almost like like i didn't even include that in the recap because it serves no actual purpose Mm -hmm. it's more just a like uh oh the future is grand, you know? Like, it's such a a superficial, falsely meaningful mm-hmm. statement, you know? Like, there's yeah. no actual substance to it, um, but it just makes you feel like, ah, yes, wow, what the world will become. <laughs> yeah. Brave new world and stuff. I loved the way every time Murdoch walked into Tesla's, like, warehouse building, he would he would say... Hello, Mr. Tesla, in the same way <laughs> every time. And there were like three of those scenes where he walks into this empty sort of space. And I just loved that <laughs> the last time it happened, I was sitting there going like saying it along with him because I knew exactly <laughs> what he was going to say. Hello. Hello, Mr. Tesla. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Oh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was very, I thought it was very, very cute. Very funny. But I also think, um, I mean, I think there's also supposed to be this establishing that, like, Murdoch and Tesla are of like minds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, even here, knowing what will happen in the future, you know, it's almost downplayed here. It's like at the beginning of Murdoch's interest in, like, in another world, Murdoch wouldn't be a detective. He would also be a scientist or an engineer himself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that, like, the thing about characters like him is he's almost a pseudo, like, Sherlock Holmes. 
And I think later on in this season, we will have Sherlock Holmes become, like, part of a storyline. Oh. Well, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, really, but... Ah. But that that was happening at the same time. Like, that was the era of Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes, as literary text, did actually influence the way real-life murders were solved. And so this... So, in a lot of ways, Murdoch is almost like a Sherlockian type of character at the time. Would have been most comparable to. But yeah, I think it's that they're trying to, like, say... Like, oh, Murdoch and Tesla have this rapport. They understand each other because they're on the same level. They are familiar with, you know, how electricity works, apparently. Like, I had to look up what alternating current and direct current were. Whereas, you know, the whole point is that Murdoch has already shown an interest in this, already done some research. But that for a man of that time to be interested in these things would require a lot more effort than mm-hmm. today, right? Like, you wouldn't just... First of all, it wouldn't have just been taught in school. Also, mm-hmm. it was just newly discovered. Um, but also, like, you would have to have the library resources. You would have to re- have the reading material. You would have to know where to look to find out about these things. Um, and, you know, there will be a lot of, like, international you know, historical references being made in the show. Mm -hmm. And it's like, not everybody would have even, like, heard of some people, you know? Mm. And then, but that Murdoch will then. Or there's, like, sometimes there are so so many weird things attributed just to Murdoch, even though it's, like, it's all hypothetical. Where it's like, he invented this, he invented that. And it's like, okay, we get it. They were probably invented at that time because Mm -hmm. the technology was being developed, right? But then they're always like, Murdoch invented this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm." obviously he didn't because he's not a real person. But that he becomes more established as a science, a man of science, right? Mm -hmm. That like, he's creating... A bunch of stuff, but I can't even think of one right now. Oh, he was, well, he was trying to create, like, a um, a similar thing that Tesla was working on. Um, a wire. To, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, or just generally a way to spy on, con- on criminals. Yeah, the other thing about this show, like, as a whole, is that, obviously, at this time, just before and after the turn of the century was the advent of so many things, not just technologically, but socially. Um, We'll start Mm -hmm. to see, like, the first modern-day spies, or, like, the need for national security as we know it today. Whereas before, nobody even would have thought of it in any other way than military, right? Mm -hmm. Because technology will become developed where governments will start to realize they need to be worried about potential threats right um but that's obviously i keep on talking about it as like the show as a whole so but as for this episode i'm most looking forward to seeing more of crabtree and ogden because they are really great too and this was very focused on like this plot was focused a lot on i mean first of all we you know this is the only show i would have maybe realized how like if you were a young woman living alone 
you had to live in a ladies' boarding house or else you weren't a decent woman, right? And that a ladies' boarding house would often require a curfew or different rules. It was like you were a student and you could have your, your you'd be wrapped on the wrist if you disobeyed curfew or mm -hmm. if you were even, you know, seen with a man in your room, that that would be inappropriate. Or then also the the allusion to pageantry or like the the Miss Toronto electric light that it's like oh, yeah. she holds this position as just being part of this like titled pageantry and that you would often companies were starting to do stuff like that where they would have like let's have a woman be the face a pretty woman to be the face of this mm -hmm. thing activism around animal cruelty as we see with one of the characters Yep, the Humane Society. Yeah. Something I had to look up just because I was unfamiliar with the term um, was what an alderman was. When did that come up? That's that's Dodd's title. Oh. Is that he is an alderman. Okay, yeah, what is that? It, I, the direct definition is an elected member of a municipal council. And in England, like, prior to some particular date it was next in status to a mayor so by being sort of an elected official for a municipal council that was why they were talking about like how much does an alderman make a year at one point because they were mm. looking at the money that he got in and he got in twenty thousand dollars that was the bribe amount mm. um which is roughly like half a million today Mm -hmm. Um, and they were like, what's his salary? Like $300 a year, <laughs> which is like 8,000 in today's, in today's money. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So not a lot, but, um, just as an elected official, particularly in that as an alderman. But yeah, I was like, I don't even know. I didn't realize at first that it was like, I thought it was his name that he was alderman Edwin <laughs> Dodd, <laughs> but no, it was a title that I hadn't heard of. And I don't know if that's a common term still used in Canada or if it's um, more particular to the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But I wouldn't be surprised if that is now outdated. Mm -hmm. All right, Ivy, do we want to get into some of the stuff we researched? Sure. Okay. This is the part of the show where we delve into the histories around the Murdoch mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> Is that bad? Did you, you prep that? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so there's a lot of things that I could have done some research on. I mean, first of all, there's Nikola Tesla, mm -hmm. you know. Well, he's the obvious one. I actually had a hard time finding one this time around. Like, like when I'm watching more recent ones, like, because really, technically, I've not gone past season nine ever. Mm. But when I was watching even them, I was like, I, there are usually always at least three things that deserve more research or whatever. And, you know, that they're hiding little Easter eggs, right? Yeah. That invite you to do more research. And obviously, that's what this whole podcast is about. I was really struggling with this first one to find something to do other than just Tesla. Yeah. Like, he's obviously the big deal. Yeah, I think I had tried to 
write a paper on Tesla in high school because I thought it would be interesting because he was an inventor and all that stuff. Uh, so I learned a bit about him at that point. And so when it came time, it's like, I don't, I don't need to go look up more about him. I don't care anymore. <laughs> he's interesting in terms of the stuff that he's created. But as a person, don't, don't know if I care. Yeah, his life sounds a little sad. Yeah. Um, so instead, there was, there was a scene. It's literally probably, it's a few shots mm-hmm. and it's so short and it's near, and it's near the beginning. Murdoch gets on a bike and bikes to, to Tesla's like warehouse thing. Hello, mm-hmm. Mr. Tesla. <laughs> 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 and they zoom in on the pedals very purposefully while he is riding and he coasts mm-hmm. and briefly you see his feet look like they sort of go backwards a little bit and then he starts pedaling again and i was like whoa whoa hold on hold on because i i you know was into bikes for a while and my dad you know every year used to watch the tour de france and so i watched a lot of that with him um and he was a cyclist uh so i was like I, I know fixed gear bikes were, you know, the first bikes, obviously, because you just stick pedals directly onto a gear that has a chain that goes to mm-hmm. a smaller gear on the back wheel. So you pedal and the wheels turn. So when that means that when you pedal forwards, the gears move forwards. And when you pedal backwards, the gears move backwards. So if you stop, the rear wheel stops turning <laughs> and the bike stops. And it's actually... If you're going fast enough, it's kind of hard to just, like, stop because the momentum, actually, of the pedals underneath you want to keep going. And if you just, like, decide to stop pedaling, your feet will just kind of fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. So I was like, wait, he coasted. He coasted. When did they invent coasting on a bike? I was like, hold on. This this is sus. I, I know Ivy, you know, and they talk a lot about inventions. Like, if this... If this is wrong and and they've messed up on such a detail as this and purposefully zoomed in on the feet, I'm going to be, ooh, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> so I did some research. I and... didn't even notice this, by the way. Because like... <laughs> I know this about bikes. That was the only reason that mm-hmm. I noticed it. Um, So he coasts. And so I'm looking at the bike as well. It doesn't look like he has hand brakes. So I'm like, okay, but he's also coasting. So then the only other thing that they would have that I know was on my little, you know, bike when I first learned how to bike with my, you know, little training wheels on the back was that you could pedal backwards to brake. So I was like, okay, maybe that's, it kind of looked like that's what he was doing, you know, and it would make sense if he can coast and all that stuff. Um, So I looked up when you could, when it was like invented that you could coast for a bike and the the particular mechanism is called a freewheel um so essentially the gear can engage in one direction and disengage in the opposite which means mm-hmm. that you can stop pedaling and the bike will keep moving and that was invented in 1869 in new york uh by a man named william van anden i think i can't read my own handwriting so sorry if i mispronounced his name uh But yeah, so in 1869, that was the first time. And I, of course, thought that it was, like, way later that that Mm -hmm. was um, 
possible, but it wasn't. It was, you know, uh, far, far ahead of the time. And the first time that they started, it didn't catch on immediately. The first time that they started manufacturing bikes, um, particularly what they call a coaster bike, which allows you to brake by pedaling backwards, was in 1899. That was when they first started, like, mass manufacturing them. Oh, wow. Um, and so if it's around this time, and you, mm-hmm. we all know that Murdoch, as a, <laughs> a man of invention, likes to be a little bit ahead of the curve, you know? Yeah. He likes to be on the cutting edge. So if anyone would have, like, a coaster backpedal bike at that point, it would be him. So I thought yeah. that was super, super cool. I also then just looked up a bit more about the bike and, like... Um, gear shifting so like having multiple gears on a bike that was like first really manufactured largely in 1924 by i think a french company and that was even just two just two so it would make it a little easier to go uphill and then later they manufactured even just like um within a decade or something i think they started manufacturing then bikes with four I think by 1964, I think it was, there was a Japanese company that um, redid the mechanism, that redid a derailleur. Um, And that's the one that we more commonly use now. They improved on the mechanism. Uh, But that's so cool that coaster bikes, I had no idea that that it was around that time that you could start to coast on a bike. I would have thought that it would be um, more recent, that it wasn't as old as it was. So that was cool. Something I didn't know. Yeah, I actually think bikes at this time would have been like, I mean, obviously bikes, bikes in some form would have existed before this, but I think Mm -hmm. that this was when they were like also being more commonly used, especially by women as like, and that's where that whole like, around this time would have been when women started using bicycles and then everyone was like, this feminist movement of women using bicycles is, is wrong and amoral and you know, it's going to break their hymen and they're going to, you know, we we can't allow this or whatever. Uh, yeah. So, you know, bikes were a huge deal at this time, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But I obviously didn't do any prep for that. <laughs> so I don't know. But I just know that, like, this time sort of runs concurrently with, like, something like um, Anne of Green Gables mm-hmm. and... In Anne of Green Gables, you know, she gets a bike and it's like a big deal. Yeah. Um, not not that they go into the whole feminist stuff about it, but... We read A Great and Terrible Beauty and there was a scene where she rode a bike in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I do think that the, the pilot, this one, my guess is that it was actually like, I thought maybe 1889 to 1891 because mm-hmm. um, they show the station house as being established 1889 so it has to at least be 1889 but um in some of my research i saw that the niagara falls project that tesla is referring to was not actually set in motion until 1893 and so it's Mm -hmm. probably actually set 1893 but i don't Mm -hmm. think that they are like especially in these early days, I don't know if they're being, like, clear-cut about when exactly they're set or being, you know, perfectly in time with history. Mm-hmm. So it's possible I'm wrong. It's possible they might change that. But yeah, that is when 
but mid no um i don't think it would be mid 19 uh, 1890s i think it is just mm-hmm. a little bit before mid mm-hmm. but um but i do think that that was when the niagara falls dam is being built yeah yeah when i did research i think the first time that it like sent power to new york or something was 1896 mm-hmm. so it was a little a little later but that just meant it had to be before then cuz that was when they used it, but... Yeah. Alright, so that was what I looked up. I, I looked up bike stuff. Because I love bikes. Well done! What What did you What did you do, Ivy? You haven't told me yet. Yeah, okay, so I did... Big surprise. The difference between alternating and direct current. Oh, okay. Because I, of course... Oh, God, I hated physics. And <laughs> <laughs> I was never very good at it. And so That's I couldn't awful. actually understand what the difference between alternating and direct current is, other than what you might, you know, assume. Direct mm-hmm. current is direct. Alternating current means it changes or, you know, whatever. So obviously, as kind of established in the show, Thomas Edison developed direct current and Nikola Tesla has just developed alternating current and so i did some research on that i mean largely because like i said i was bad at physics i didn't really get into actually understanding what they are (laughs) so Mm -hmm. much as um how they were used right Mm -hmm. so direct current as i can understand it it is a line that goes in one direction usually at a constant voltage It's more stable, but it doesn't easily convert to higher or lower voltages. So you have to send it out at the voltage that a household might use it. Mm. Alternating current is like an oscillating wave whose charge can change direction back and forth, and also the voltage can be changed easily using a transformer. Mm. So you can send a high voltage and then it can be lowered before you use it in your household appliance or your office appliances, right? Edison's direct current was a problem because you couldn't send very high voltages and a single power plant could only effectively transmit power about a mile away without the voltage dropping significantly. Because essentially higher voltages means lower currents. So this is almost copy and paste. Higher voltages mean lower currents, and lower currents mean less heat generated in the power line due to resistance. Alternating current can be converted to and from high voltages easily using transformers. So basically, it's more efficient, like you're less likely to have a drop in power or lose power if you send it in a high voltage because it doesn't have as much resistance in the wire but that's too high to use you can't use a high voltage in the house Mm -hmm. um so you can't send it very far away without losing a bunch of it so it was it was a huge waste of power in a lot of ways it was um inefficient yeah exactly so alternating current could send high voltages from far away using only a transformer which was inexpensive and allowed for both high voltages and also converting them to lower, more usable levels. 
At higher voltages, the same power could be transmitted at much lower current, which meant less power loss due to resistance in the wires. Also, the wires didn't have to be as large, so the whole mechanism would be more smaller. Mm-hmm. As a result, large power plants could be located many miles away and service a greater number of people and buildings. So by 1886, Rome had been successfully electrified with alternating current, like the entirety of Rome. When? By when? 1886? 1886. Wow. And then around the same time or a little after, a Pittsburgh industrialist named George Westinghouse bought Tesla's patents for alternating current around the same time. By then, Thomas Edison had already built 121 direct current power plants in the U.S., and his system was basically to just set up more power plants so that there would basically be one within a mile radius of anywhere so that you could send direct current. But you'd lose a bunch of power, and setting up a whole power plant was kind of, like, costly. Make him more money, though. Yeah, exactly. He need, He wanted to gain keep getting the royalties, and he had already paid for the infrastructure he put in place. So he led a smear campaign to discourage the use of alternating current by spreading lies and lobbying state legislators. He directed technicians to electrocute animals, as we see in the show, with alternating current to demonstrate its dangers, including once an elephant named Topsy. All this eventually led to the invention of the first electric chair designed by Harold P. Brown and Arthur Kennelly, who were employees of Edison using electric current. So that's who we have to thank for the electric chair. Thanks. As we were seeing in 1893, George Westinghouse began building a hydroelectric dam at Niagara Falls, which would transmit alternating current power to Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. Many people did not believe that it could power all of Buffalo, but it did. And Westinghouse even believed it could power all of the Northeast of America. Mm-hmm. Um, by then, General Electric began to invest and adopt alternating current as well. Almost all buildings and homes are set up with alternating current. However, almost all household electronic appliances work on direct current. So... When plugging your phone or TV into the wall, you have to convert the electricity from alternating current to direct current. Anything with a battery uses direct current. So a flashlight, your phone, computer, my Prius. Wow. So an electric car that has a battery in it, Mm -hmm. that is direct current. But anything with like a motor, so... Well, I didn't really understand how they were talking about, like, the motors and the cars and stuff. But basically, mm-hmm. a car uses, well, it uses alternating current in some way to turn to turn electricity into mechanical electricity. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It was complicated, and I don't understand cars. But basically, that's, you know, you're using, I don't know. yeah similarly when i was doing the research on gears and stuff there's a Mm -hmm. the freewheel when i was first um trying to look up stuff about it it was like mostly about how it's in cars and i'm like and helped for manual transmissions and things and i'm like i'm sorry i don't understand how a car works i'm gonna have to skip all (laughs) this (laughs) but so basically 
yeah, so both basically coexist at the same time. That's mostly how how all of your stuff is working is both alternating current is being sent to your house and then you are then converting it into direct current. And it has to be converted. They don't do well when you if you just try to use use them together. So it's one reason why like you have to have an adapter or you have mm-hmm. to have a um a plug that's as I know that sounds obvious, but I mean instead of just making a makeshift like wire to connect to your phone because you lost your plug, right? You can't just mm. makeshift a plug if you've lost yours mm. because it has to have that adapter or converter or whatever. Mm. But actually direct current since about the 70s has been making a comeback because what's been developed is something called high voltage direct current, which was always the problem with direct current, especially at the turn of the century. Um because you couldn't get high enough voltage. But with high voltage direct current, it seems that there are a few other things you can do with that that you can't do with alternating current. It has a benefit that it's more stable. And I don't completely understand what it's being used for now, but it is. And also direct current nowadays is seems to also be coming in useful with regard to like like sustainability products like LEDs and solar Mm. cells, and obviously, like, my battery-operated car. Um, Mm -hmm. So they are, like, coexisting, and, you know, no one person won, except Edison was a bit of an ass throughout. And also, fun fact I found out, the band ACDC is named after Alternating Current and Direct Current. Yeah. I feel like I knew that, but I always forget that. Well, I just wonder why. What were they like, oh, we definitely want to talk about electricity. Because they're f***ing electric. Oh, because, okay. I don't know. Because they're metal? <laughs> oh, I don't know, maybe? Because it sounds they, cool? Because they rock hard? I don't, these these puns aren't even working. No. Um, <laughs> Their music is electrifying. Electric guitars, maybe. Uh, uh maybe. Because they maybe, use so it's... electric guitars, maybe? I don't know. We we didn't research that. I'm sure part, the okay? answer is out there, but we did not research that. No. <laughs> <laughs> did you research anything else? Any extra fun facts? Uh nope. Just the what what an alderman was, the money equivalency, because I was curious. But no, nothing else. That was it. What about you? Did you do you have any? No, I just did the one thing and then I was I was satisfied. <laughs> Good job. You did you you did your job. You did you fulfilled your job to the T. I didn't even really understand it. <laughs> A lot of that was me just like egurgitating. <laughs> but I did find it interesting like the fact I think really the behavior the historical stuff of alternating current was more interesting than like actually how it works and everything. Yeah. Cuz obviously that went over my head. But you know, the the animal cruelty, the fact that they basically invented the electric chair. I think that that's sort of like slightly subtly alluded to in the show when Edna mm-hmm. says that it's tantamount to an execution. You know, that she's sort of bridging that gap and reminding you that that's basically what execution is. All right. So Ivy, I think, is that it? I think that's it. 
that's it for that's a wrap on episode one power yep so thanks for listening to episode one we'll have episode two uh coming out next wednesday on season one episode two of murdoch mysteries i don't remember the name of the episode but i think it's called the glass ceiling all right thank you we'll see you next week bye bye